Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Long article, as always, in the Atlantic. Although, we were just discussing a little bit ago the number of publications that now you can play their articles. I was doing this the other day with a New Yorker article, Dexter Filkins, who's the greatest reporter on the, like, the wars in the Middle East and stuff that exists. But anyway, I don't have time to read these things, but I can, uh, I can click on the article and have it read to me. And that's just awesome. That is kind of cool. When did that become a thing? Anyway, I need I to do it. that more. I never do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I just discovered it fairly recently and, and not every publication does it, but really, really great. Look at me, using my eyes like a sucker, shoveling popcorn in my mouth. America Without God is the article in The Atlantic. As religious faith has declined, ideological intensity has risen. Will the quest for secular redemption through politics doom the American idea? The answer is yes. I don't know why this article had to be so long. (laughs) There, he answered it. From 1937 to 1998, church membership remained relatively constant at about 70%. I did not know that. That That's very interesting. 37 to 98, hung around 70%. Then something happened. Over the past two decades, that number has dropped to less than 50%. The sharpest recorded decline in American history. Meanwhile, the nuns... In a a very short time, too. Especially given the fact that it stayed at 70% through the Depression, World War II... The boom of the fifties, the Vietnam War, the, 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 everything that was going on in all these different decades. 
Right. It stayed the same. Disco. Disco. It, it survived uh, disco. Uh, the godless disco era. Sick. <laughs> Drive you straight to Satan, right into his red leathery arms. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, atheists, agnostics, and those claiming no religion has grown rapidly and today represent a quarter of the population. By the way, I don't know if you would get from television, we were talking about this last hour, I don't know if you would get from TV that half the country still regularly attends church. You wouldn't get that through the media. No. That's no. just a tiny group of weirdos who are probably Trump fans. Wow. Not you know, half I, the country. I wish I had the time and or staff to actually pursue the answer to this question. When was the last time any any popular drama or comedy portrayed a family going to church on the television? You know, my kids watch them where they do that, and it's almost always the sitcoms that are black families. Hmm. There's a couple of, like, Netflix sitcom, sitcoms made for kids that they watch yeah. that uh-huh. are really wholesome, but they're, they're, they're all about the, you know, we just got back from church and now we're having Sunday dinner, like I grew up. Um, yeah. that's, that's a weird thing. I wonder how many other people are like me. I grew up going to church. I wish my kids were growing up going to church, but they aren't. Yeah. I can't really explain that. I mean, obviously, I'm in charge. My wife and I are in charge. We could do that, and she wouldn't fight me on that. Um, I wish they were, but they're not. I wonder how many people are like that. Yeah, this conversation makes me uncomfortable because I was mostly in the same boat uh, for most of my kids' childhoods, and I don't feel great about it. I can't, I even, explain that in my, I can't it. even explain that in my own head, though. If you wish they were, if you think it's important, why aren't you doing it? I don't, I don't even know. Mm. Anyway. Back to this. I wonder how many people fit into that category, though. Um, if secularists hope that declining religiosity would make for more rational politics, drained of faiths and flaming passions, which is a lot of what you heard back in the day, they are likely to be disappointed. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Duh. Uh, more on that in a second after we tell you all about Simply Safe. Oh, yeah. Whether it's your home or your your art studio or your workshop where your tools are, your band's rehearsal space, you want to keep your home and your stuff and your family safe from break-ins, fire, flooding, and medical emergency. Simply Safe Home Security delivers award-winning 24-7 protection. Yeah, this is something you can definitely believe in because they've won all kinds of awards about being the best security. No, not the best, like, doesn't cost as much as easy to set up security. The best security, period. But it is easy to set up. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. Um, it's going to come to you. Nobody's going to come to your home. No long-term contract or hidden fees, but it is great. So check it out at simplysafe.com. Use the code ARMSTRONG. You can get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose, and you get a free home security camera just by using that code ARMSTRONG. Go to simplysafe.com slash ARMSTRONG for that free security camera today. No randos on your porch. You don't know who it is. Uh, nobody breaking in your house while you're gone. You can actually look at them. Look them in the eye. Go to simplysafe.com slash ARMSTRONG. Is there anybody else that's like that? They wish their kids were going to church, but they aren't. <laughs> Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Or you just you feel guilty that you're not doing it anymore. What was uh, Bob Dylan's Jesus album? Long Train Coming? Long Train Runner? I can't uh, remember. Yeah. I think he had a couple, but or, that's one, yeah. Yeah. Well, on that, uh, my favorite song from that period is Serve Somebody. Um, and and he, he goes through a long Dylan-esque list of who you might serve. Uh, the chorus is, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Yep. 
and and you're going to be enthusiastic about something and the idea that it's uh, politics and politicians and everybody defines themselves and it's no longer a question of policies you find uh, more persuasive it's who you are deep in your soul these are my politics i don't think that's healthy honestly or it's you know just about money that's your god or something else um but you you know there's going to be something that you answer to that is your driving force Mm-hmm. As says this theologian quoted in the Atlantic and more going on in this uh, article, a theologian who served uh, blah, 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 20th century when the nation will blah, 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 skip all that. He's, he said this theologian that no human being could survive long without some ultimate loyalty. If that loyalty didn't derive from traditional religion, it would find expression through secular commitments such as nationalism, socialism or liberalism. In any given society, there's a relatively constant and finite supply of religious conviction what varies is how and where it is expressed so that, you know, 70% of people were going to church. It's now down to 50%. But those 22, those 20% and really the rest of them, the other, you know, all the rest of, because all human beings are like built this way. Like you're just saying to serve somebody to be into something, to have some worldview that they're, that they're married to and devout to. It's just not. Uh, a God thing, you know. Boy, the religion of uh, so-called social justice, which is the opposite of justice, the religion of critical theory, that's uh, getting a lot of adherence these days, too. And it's uh, it's nasty. It's scary. Understandings of the American creed have become richer and more diverse, but also more fractious. I think we all agree on that. As the creed fragments, each side seeks to exert exclusivist claims over the other. Conservatives believe that they are faithful to the American idea and that liberals liberals are betraying it. But liberals believe, with equal certitude, that they are faithful to the American idea and that conservatives are betraying it. Without the common ground produced by a shared external enemy, as America had during the Cold War and after September 11th briefly, mutual antipathy grows and each side becomes less intelligible to the other. That's certainly true. Mm -hmm. No wonder, and I'll wrap this up, no wonder the... Antipathy means dislike. Back to you. No wonder... Why you gotta go fancy? I'm freaking Atlantic. Not you. Not you. No wonder the newly ascended American ideologies have having to fill the vacuum where religion once was are so divisive. They're meant to be divisive. On the left, the woke takes religious notions such as original sin, atonement, ritual, and excommunication and repurpose them for secular ends. Excommunication is a good word for what they're doing to a lot of people. Right. And original sin. You were born white, therefore you are a racist. Adherents of wokeism see themselves as challenging the long dominant narrative that emphasized the exceptionalism of the nation's founding. Whereas religion sees the promised land as being above in God's kingdom, the utopian left sees it as being ahead in the realization of a just society here on earth. Heaven on earth, which was uh, the exact phrase from Marx. Uh, after spring- And the title of uh, that great book about Marxism, too, right? Uh, yeah. Joshua, yeah. what's his name? Yeah, that's a great book, Heaven on Earth. Um, after Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in September, droves of mourners gathered outside the Supreme Court, some kneeling, some holding candles, as though they were at the Western Wall. That's absolutely true. Because they worship her left view of politics mm-hmm. the same way you would have, like, a, a saint of a different kind. Uh, on the right, adherents of a Trump-centric ethno-nationalism still drape themselves in some of the trappings of organized religion, but the result is a movement that often looks like a tent revival stripped of the Christian witness Trump played savior and martyr. Many on the right find solace in conspiracy that tell a religious story of earthly corruption redeemed by like godlike force. That's fair. Um, it's a little broad, but it's fair. 
Unfortunately, you know the, the various strains of wokeism on the left and Trumpism on the right. Trumpism isn't all of the right, but we'll see how that plays out. Well, and wokeness isn't all of the left, so that's fair. Well, and there are um, plenty of Trump uh, voters who couldn't be accused of Trumpism, whatever that is, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but these two things, wokeism and Trumpism, cannot truly fill the spiritual void, the void, the God-shaped hole, as it has been called. Mm. That I think that is a really a deep, fascinating discussion. If we move away from God and, and some sort of plan for the way the world works there, what life is all about, and turn it into politics, where is that going to take us? You and know, I think that's final- what we're doing. One final thought from me, because we really need to take a break, is that uh, back in the day, I'm picturing, you know, the, the 70s, whatever, when my parents and all their friends would get together, and there was quite a mix of different faiths. And there are some people who feel the need to convert everybody who doesn't believe what they believe, but they, that's a minority. So it doesn't really matter to me if you're a Jew and you're Catholic, you're Hindu, whatever. It just it doesn't affect me. You seem like a nice person. On the other hand, if you're forcefully advocating for policies, taxation policies, say, that I find repugnant and are going to screw me. You and I can't have that. Well, you believe this. I believe that. Isn't that interesting? The, <laughs> the, the, the palette of colors that make the world go round. No, you're trying to screw me. Right. So I think that's led to a lot of the animosity these days. Fascinating stuff. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. When I was a kid, I used to buy uh, packs of baseball cards. You'd buy a pack. My kids do it with Pokemon cards, actually. You buy a pack. There's a bunch in there. You don't know what they are. You open them up, and you're hoping you get a good one. And every once in a while, you get a really good one. Usually, you get a bunch of medium ones. Um, But you're hoping for, like, a really good one. So now they do it with these NFTs. It's digital videos. And you bought a pack of those? Yes, I, uh, there, there were literally hundreds of thousands of people trying to get one of, I think it was about 30,000 packs. Uh, I, I got the quote unquote, the, uh, privilege to buy one of those packs. It cost me about $200. $200 for a pack of videos. How many in a, how many videos uh, in a pack? Uh, six or seven, something like that. And you're hoping one of them's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, and from the reading the marketplace already, it was very hard for me to, to just come up, uh, you know, snake eyes and get zero out of this. It was very likely that it was at least going to be able to get the Two hundred dollars of value back. I ended up hitting a little bit big. I got uh, the the rare card. The the serial number of the the moment that I had matched the jersey number of the player that it was about. Ooh, which for s- some reason makes it more valuable. Sure, why not? I'm not going to argue. <laughs> what and, the hell? And uh, because these things are all serialized, right? There's only a certain number of printed. Uh, the the number one serials uh, tend to be worth the most because those were printed first. The the jersey numbers tend to be the the second most valuable. And uh, one of my digital uh, moments, my non-fungible tokens, sold this morning for about $6,000. So, holy crap. So you're going to get hit with whatever, three, four, how many thousand dollars you're going to get from the, the Biden account. And I don't know what you're going to get. Um, we have another coworker who got $7,000 in their account in the last couple of days. Um, and you hit $6,000 on this, you got to hit on a, a hot chick that's outside of your, your league. I'm sliding into Scarlett Johansson's DMs as we speak. You're clearly yes. on a roll here. What do you know about non-fungible tokens, Scarlett? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's insane. Six grand on a $200 oh. bet is not bad. Pretty good. I, I, I could have... I, 
There's chances I could have held out for more, but but I don't you know, magical bean stuff. I'll take the, the the sure. I'll take the six grand payout today off the two hundred as a opposed to maybe some mythical futuristic land where it's worth maybe double or something. I have no idea. Right, right. You're either going to be just so grateful to yourself for selling right now or kicking yourself for the rest of your life. Uh, so here's a question for you. Well, I have several questions. Number one, did you ever watch any of these videos or? Oh, I, the, they're they're essentially the length of a gif. Like the the moments themselves are not longer than like ten seconds, if that. And do you they sold look... one of them for six thousand dollars? <laughs> yes. <laughs> do they look any different than when I just watch a highlight on my phone? Uh, they kind of do a, a neat edit where they'll show like the conclusion of the play, like from a couple different angles. Okay. Um, but other than that, no. And this player was he like a superstar or? Young, promising guy, but not not a future Hall of Famer lock. Or he, like, if he makes an All Star game, he's overperforming. You know, it's probably it's not that a name. I, probably not a name I would even know. Though. No, Brandon Clark. You guys probably don't know. Okay. Um, any chance that people getting money into their accounts played into how much money people were willing to spend on your? Thing? Oh, the government money. You mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, possibly stimulating the economy. It's hard for me to eliminate that as a possibility. Of course, money's fungible. I don't know if you know that. These tokens are not. Okay, non-fungible. Yes, which is the whole point of them. I have another question. So, at the point that whoever is selling these things has hundreds of thousands of people vying for the right to buy a limited number, why didn't they just jack up the price? Uh, because the company does not set the price of the secondhand market. This is entirely peer to peer. It is a, uh, it is a, it's, it's essentially like its own kind of walled garden eBay, only it's not auction based. You have to just list it for the price you're willing you, to sell, uh, sell it for. Do you know about supply and demand? Yeah. Are you familiar with that concept? Yes. I think that That's plays a, a role. That's exactly my question though. So these had already been issued at the point that you bought them. You well, bought them on the secondhand market. As no, no, well? no. I I opened mine in a pack that was sold from the from the retailer. Well, part of right. it is, and then that... on the secondhand, I I sell the the contents of that pack to other users of Topshop. Right, like, right. Like, Which how... brings me back to my okay. question: Why doesn't the retailer sell them for what they're worth? Because it would blow up the whole thing, I guess. Uh, my guess is their math tells them it scales better to do it this way. So, this, one thing that never happened uh-huh. with baseball cards. Is where there's, you know, uh, when the new baseball packs showed up at the Five and Dime downtown. I'm Opie Taylor in this scenario. Um, my childhood was actually kind of like that. But uh, there weren't 10,000 kids waiting outside the door for 50 packs of baseball cards to start with. I mean, the demand way outstripping the supply right off the bat, if you'll pardon right. the expression. And it took me a second to understand Positive Sean's answer, but now I get it. So... The grocery store in your scenario has a couple of choices. Number one, they can continue to sell them at a low rate, drawing enormous crowds, or they could maximize their profits in the short term and probably kill the market. Yes. Yeah, it would be over in a day, wouldn't it? Yeah, so so the, the people are buying them to get rich, not to join, not to uh, own them. That is certainly part of the, the ability to kind of flip these moments has certainly been a, one of the major magnets to drawing people into this. Six grand. Wow. That's something. Me with my stupid mutual funds. Exactly. I'm following uh, Buffett's advice, too. That's going right at the credit cards. There you go. Yeah, see how my Target stock did today. Not as good as Sean's NFTs. 1.2%. Armstrong and Getty. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Before COVID, the median family income in the United States was about 65 grand a year. At Yale, it's three times that. The median family income of a Yale University student is 192,000 a year. That's the median. At the University of Pennsylvania, it's about 196,000 a year. At Brown University in Providence, it's 204,000. These are all Ivy League schools with multi-billion dollar endowments, endowments heavily subsidized by you through your tax dollars. 
So they could afford to educate poor kids, they just choose not to. At Princeton, 72% of students come from families in the top 20% nationally for household income. Nobody seems to have any plans to change any of this. Uh, we're going to play more of that from Tucker Carlson last night. I find this to be just a really interesting conversation. And I don't want to get, I, 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 I worry about like, uh, you know, not, not understanding it enough and getting too far down the road of just, you know, raw populism. But we do get lectured all the time by the elite universities about the importance of diversity. Yeah. Huh. As, as you heard there, they're they're the richest among us at all these colleges. Unless you think all the rich people have the smartest kids, and that wouldn't make any sense from any biological standpoint whatsoever, there's something going on there where the wealthy are uh, sending their kids to the most elite universities, then lecturing the rest of us about the importance of diversity in our neighborhoods and lives and schools. There's not diversity in their neighborhoods or workplaces or schools. But there has to be an hours where we're bad people. Right. Which yes. is really interesting. That is terribly annoying. Uh, I would say as a guy who's shepherded three kids now through college that it's not the smartest kids. It's the kids with the greatest academic achievement. And the more wealth you have, the more tools you have to get that going. It can't make up for a kid who just can't, you know, rub two brain cells together. But it, it does help. So it is self-perpetuating in that way. Yeah, and so it contributes to the class system that we have uh, developed in the United States, and this is what Tucker's about, uh, talking about a little more of that. So here's our advice to the members of the woke professional class at the Times and elsewhere who are about to discover that their own rules might actually apply to themselves. Here's our advice. Stop complaining. When you discover that your own children's life plans have been thwarted due to some new imperative of social justice, don't say a word. Don't whine or moan or file a lawsuit. Don't even acknowledge it's happening. Just accept it. It's not like you can pretend you didn't know the meritocracy was fake. You single-handedly destroyed it yourselves. For years, you thought you had an exemption to the rules that you made. You imagined that challenging power applied only to other people's families. Sorry, the revolution has finally come for you. You pictured your kids graduating from the local friend's school and moving on to Cornell to immerse themselves in gender studies and international relations. Oh, but not anymore. It's a new era. Again, an era that you designed. Now your kids will be taking the bus to a poultry processing facility in rural Iowa to begin their new lives serving the critical culinary needs of the people they replaced, the ones now going to Cornell. And maybe someday, if they're lucky, your kids can learn to code. But no matter what happens to them over the next several generations, don't fret. And once again, above all, don't complain. Complaining is racist. Diversity is our strength. We're a nation of immigrants. That's the main idea of America, which, as you have often told us, is simply an idea, not a nation. Now, all of this might be hard for you to see right now. It's painful, and we get it. Because it's happening to you, it might even seem unjust. Trust us, it's not unjust. It's the definition of justice. That, I... I find that really interesting. Books could be written about that. College classes could be taught about that. This this effort among the elite who go to these universities that are so so white and so rich, wanting the rest of the country to get to to, to emphasize diversity and talking about diversity as our strength and all these different mm-hmm. things. If it actually, if the diversity that they're talking about for the rest of us actually comes to them, as Tucker points out, you know, you might not like the results. 
Oh, oh no, they would have a heart attack. Out. Yeah, right. you, as he says, you might be working at the at the uh, at the, at the, the, the the chicken beheading plant in the middle of Iowa, and the kid <laughs> that grew up in that that local town might be going to the university that you were supposed to go to. Yeah, and uh, things could get real upside down real fast. And we've been talking about this for years. It drives me crazy. The people in power that talk all the time about immigration, for instance, and how good it is for the country. Nothing's changing in their neighborhoods. Their neighborhoods are exactly the same. If anybody's speaking Spanish, it's because they, you know, they got the gate code from you and came in and trimmed your hedges, but they're going back out again. Right. Your, your schools are still all white and English speaking, or certainly upper class in English speaking, um, uh, from an income standpoint. And the rest of us are supposed to like all the diversity that's happening. And if we don't like it, we're clearly bad people. Yeah, although the sort of diversity that comes to the elite universities, for instance, is a bunch of incredibly rich people who may have different skin tones, but all think the same and are from the same neighborhoods and the same yacht clubs. It is still very white, though. I remember talking about the numbers on this after um, uh, after the scandal broke of uh, people faking their kids into uh, you know various sports and that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, Lawrence Summers, the guy who used to run Harvard, um, talking about how he looked out his window one day and he he thought i only see white kids out there what is going on and he started looking into it and then they made real reforms to try to get you know harvard to look at least more like america um uh you know just on the statistics because it's whiter than america it was whiter than america was at harvard and he thought why is it that way when we talk about any and he tried to put in all these different um you know programs and everything like that and nothing has changed over the years So the system is still rigged toward people with enough money getting in all these universities, which might be fine as long as you're not trying to force all this supposed diversity on the rest of us against our will. Right, right. And it's not the... um you got to be careful when you talk about this, because it's not the idea that uh, we have any problem with diversity, per se. It's the, the means used to, to enforce it or to force it upon people, whether it's uh, quota systems or the horrific, woke, anti-racist education that's not about diversity. It's about power. Um, yeah, the, the whole university system is just so bad. Are at this any point. of those people who want the, what they call diversity, are their kids going to a school where the teacher has to stop school and type into their phone, uh, what they just said so their phone will spit out in a different language and the whole class has to stop for one kid who doesn't speak English and the teacher is now going to, uh, slow down all the learning to try to help this kid who doesn't speak English. Are their kids going to a school like that? Who came up with these ideas? Probably not. No, no. I would like to see a mass movement of the Brahmins of Wall Street, the elite of Harvard, Yale, and Brown, sending their kids to inner city schools where there are fistfights in the classroom constantly, where the rules say the teacher can't kick you out for open insubordination. You want some diversity? Supply diversity. Send your little rich kid to those schools. Those stats. I like the idea of having a Harvard or Yale or, or whatever where the smartest kids in the country get in. I love the idea of that. That's, 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 uh, we all benefit from that. Um, having the, the, the people that have the most talent in whatever area it is being able to utilize that to its fullest is great for all of us. But I don't think that's happening if you've got those statistics that Tucker just gave us on income. That that's that's not what's occurring. Right. Right. Yeah, I get that. Armstrong and Getty. 
and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Of those 400 cases, the majority of those, 80, 85 percent, maybe even 90, you have individuals both inside and outside the Capitol that breached the Capitol, trespassed. You also have individuals, roughly over 100 that we've charged with assaulting federal officers and local police officers. The 10 percent of the cases, I'll call the more complex conspiracy cases, where we do have evidence, it's in the public record, where individual militia groups from different facets, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, Proud Boys, did have a plan, we don't know what the full plan is, to come to D.C., organize, and breach the Capitol in some manner. That's from 60 Minutes last night, and they interviewed a number of people about uh, what happened on January 6th and where they are now in the investigation. A couple of things that stood out to me, they still are not sure to what level it was coordinated. They believe it is, but they haven't found any evidence yet. So whatever groups were involved in coordinating their actions, they they were on the dark web or sending mail or something like that because mm. they, they, they haven't caught them on the Internet yet. Um, there were groups, and they showed some of the videos that got into, that left the rally early, headed to the Capitol. They were the people that were the most armed up. They had their bear spray and all the things that they needed and weapons and that sort of stuff. And they got into military formations that you would have to coordinate. Yeah. And train. Um, you wouldn't accidentally do that, but they've got no evidence of that. So they're not exactly sure who the ringleaders were or how that happened. So I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Well, I think they're going to probably find out that it, it goes in layers. You had those small groups that were highly organized. They recognized each other on the scene and kind of were ad hoc organized. Just, you know, they came together kind of. And then you got the masses of the people who are just yahoos who thought, look, the Capitol's open. And they were completely unorganized. Yeah. Um. Also, they arrested some of the most high-profile people and made that known quickly to deter anything for the inauguration because their big concern was this is they're going to come back for the inauguration and that's going to be a huge battle. So they right off the bat got the guy with the horns, the guy with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. You know, some of the most high-profile people they got that out within days. Look, we're and they know from looking at chatter that that. Made a lot of people think, oh, no, we better back off because of this, because of that. So hmm. they, they tried to send a message, and it appears that it worked, that they're going to have to come up with a different tactic. Yeah, I, it's on the DVR. I can't wait to watch it. But I saw from the tease, they, they still have a hell of a lot of people they're looking for, right? Yeah, there are, I think, a dozen of the most violent people that they haven't caught yet. They put their pictures out on Friday, and I think they caught a couple over the weekend. Because, you know, in the modern world, you get those pictures out, and there'll be somebody that says, yeah, I work with that guy, or you know, he's my gardener, or whatever. Um, uh, but some of the most violent people, I mean, that were just, you know, beaten on cops with flagpoles as they laid on the ground. Just awful oh, stuff. God, you got to find those people. God, I'd say you need to find those people. I'd, I'd, you know what? I don't want them to be mentioned within 100 miles of my ideology. No. I, j- I want those people jailed. I want them prosecuted. I can't imagine Sick. what the the hardest of the hardcore thought they were actually going to accomplish that day. I, There's like, a lot of crazy people in the world. There are a lot of people who can't reason, and a lot of them spend their time angry. Did you think you were going to abduct Pence or kill him or 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 scare the Senate into not making Biden president? And they just say, oh, okay, I guess Trump will be president. Did you think that was going to happen? 
I would have loved to have heard some of those guys explain. Yeah, what's the ultimate here? What's or, how's this? What's the result? Or maybe they just see themselves as patriots doing the right thing. We might lose, but I'm going to go down fighting, doing the right thing. Maybe that's what they would say in their mind. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other things on politics that I was thinking about over the weekend. One, this came out yesterday. This could be huge. I was confused by this at the time when Trump got booted off Twitter. It is amazing how little we've heard from Donald Trump since he got booted off Twitter. And I thought, how can that be? How can one guy make a decision that silences the most famous man on earth? It doesn't mm-hmm. silence him, but it cut way down the amount you hear from him. He had 90 million Twitter followers. And I just, you know, I didn't think that much more about it. Well, yesterday, uh, somebody in the Trump orbit said on one of the shows that uh, you'll be hearing from the president on a new platform in the coming months. And the speculation that is that he either bought a platform or created a new app. And I'm surprised this didn't happen like days after he got kicked off Twitter. Couldn't he hire some Silicon Valley guy to create an app? And like within a couple of days, you have 90 people following that. 90 million? Uh, 90 million, I mean. Yeah, yeah, 90 million people fall out. Why didn't that happen? Um, that's an interesting question. Those Either... 90 million would download the app and follow him, I think. Most of them. Yeah, but he had alternatives. Honestly, it's possible that there are long-term plans being hatched. On the other hand, there's part of me that goes back to what I thought during the campaign, way back in 2015, 2016, that Trump wasn't he never expected to win. He never expected to be the president. And while he was president, he really enjoyed it in a lot of ways, but he really hated it in a lot of ways. And that there was a large part of him that was happy as hell to go back to Mar-a-Lago, play golf, and chill with his buddies. And I just suspect he was enjoying chilling with his buddies. Yeah, I saw him quoted today saying, whether I run or not, the Republicans have a deep bench. And I don't know if that's a tell or not. Doesn't sound like the sort of thing you would say if you were, like, super excited about running. Oh, no, absolutely not. That's huge. The Republicans have a deep bench. There it is. There's your message. You think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. Interesting. Um, But one more thing about the sucky, sucky Republican Party. Couldn't be more sucky. So, how last, so, sir? And last week I was talking about how, what a stupid angle it was to go after that one woman who, Near was, a tandem, yep. who, who was mean tweeting at senators and making sure she didn't make it and not spending their political capital on Javier Becerra, who's now Secretary of Health and Human Services, one of the biggest budgets in all of the world. And he's got extreme views and all the kind of things that conservatives care about, but they, they spent all their bullets on that woman who mean tweeted. Just, just dumb politics, I think. Mm. Another thing that's dumb politics, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly why, I read a great article called While You Were Seussing, and it's about how the Republicans, the week, the very week that a $2 trillion changing the way America works law got passed, the Republicans try, decided to make Dr. Seuss the main issue. I'm not one of those that thinks Dr. Seuss is a dumb issue, but if you're trying to get the public's attention, the very week... Socialism is being passed in the Congress. That's not the week for the Speaker of the House to be up there reading Green Eggs and Ham. He actually read Green Eggs and Ham on the floor to make Dr. Seuss the subject on one of the key days of of, of voting and arguing about this $2 trillion package that the more I learn about is one of the 
most important efforts to change America that have happened in a hundred years. Ninety percent nothing to do with COVID. Ninety percent nothing to do with COVID, almost entirely with just changing America in a different way that the liberals have wanted forever. And much more socialist is the direction it's going. And the Republican Party, either because they were scared or didn't think they had the backing or because the, 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 the polls showed popularity for it. Hey, you know why the polls showed it being popular? Because you haven't put up your argument yet. Yeah, if you let your opponent define the terms, sure, it's popular. But if Kevin McCarthy and all the other Republicans had made a point of trying to educate America on what was in the damn thing, maybe you could have driven those numbers down. But they didn't. They talked about Dr. Seuss instead. I, do you like green eggs and ham? And the, <sighs> I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. And the point of the while you were Seussing uh, article, you know, to take off on while you were sleeping, is just this is what happened while you were paying attention to Dr. Seuss, and it goes through the bill and the uh, you know untangling work from welfare and all the various super liberal progressive things that happened with this law. Yeah, we have we became France last week, and and nobody's talking about it. a couple of and things. And the opposition party put up no fight. I think what they might tell you if they were going to be honest <clears throat> is a we don't have the media, we can't. We can't combat a narrative that's this universal, that it's checks because of COVID. It's relief checks because of COVID. When it's 90% restructuring American society and turning us into France, they can't get, they can't counter that narrative without the media. Second thing they would have told you is you get an issue like Dr. Seuss, it's great for fundraising. Explaining oh, legislation, hurts. we can't raise any money on that. It's that too complicated. Hurt. That hurts. People get a headache, their eyes glaze over. That hurts. Grow up, Jack. It's about checks in the mail today. We became France, and there was no pushback. Nope. That's unbelievable. I do not like green croissants and ham. I do not like them, Pierre, I am. I brought in Michael a dozen farm fresh eggs today, and then I find out he doesn't eat eggs. He doesn't like any eggs and ham. Any eggs of any kind? No, no, I don't eat eggs. How do you not like scrambled eggs? I got to think that I got sick on them when I was young or something. That's the only explanation. I can't stand the smell. I can't stand the texture. It just bothers me. It's Fried proof- eggs on corned beef hash is proof God loves us, Michael. Got a fried egg on a piece of toast with butter. It's Ooh. proof that God loves us. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.